Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today we've got a great guest. A great guest because he's a former teammate of mine, a friend of mine, and he's grown himself and his personality into being one of the most need-to-watch brands in the NBA. None other than fellow Washington resident, well, not nearly really a resident these days, lives in the state of Massachusetts, but grew up in the state of Washington, the White Mamba, Brian Scalabrini. Brian, it's been a while. How are things? Yeah, you know... As much as I love my job of covering the Celtics and all that stuff, that people don't know this. If I didn't do that, I'd probably live in eastern Washington. And more specifically, I'd probably live in somewhere between Spokane and Wenatchee. So deep down inside, like I'm an eastern Washington guy. So I'm, I'm a little what we call ge- geographically envious of where you're at right now, Dan. Well, it's a perfect day. It's going to be about 85 degrees. I'm, I'm going to try to sneak out and get nine holes of golf in with my son later today after getting some shots up uh, in the backyard. So uh, I'm sure it's hot and humid back on the East Coast, and, and who knows what your plans are. But I want to quickly talk about your love for the state of Washington. And in particular, I'm sure it will gravitate towards the eastern side of the state. You went to Enumclaw High School. You played at Highline Community College for a year before going to USC. Do you have any fond memories or what are the biggest memories that you have growing up playing high school basketball in the state of Washington? Yeah, I mean, I I think I would like it more if I was then if I knew more like I didn't I wasn't into it like I I'm, I'm more into it, especially right after I got out of high school. And then when I was in college and you know, the all the pros that are coming through Seattle, but for me, when I was there, I was really focused on our team. It's so different now, and, and you, you must talk about this all the time. Like nowadays, you know guys from all over the place. You play with guys from all over the state. Some people play with guys from outside of the state. Man, I grew up playing with my friends. Dan, I played seven AAU games. So it was like my circle is really, really small, and I was so centri- uh, uh, just focused mostly on – how good can my high school team be? Can we win a state title and stuff like that? Man, I, I, basketball has changed so much. Think about it. If I made it all the way to the NBA, played 11 years, and I only played seven AAU games, at this point, my 13-year-old daughter has probably already played 70 AAU games. and just uh, It's so different now. But when I think back about this, the state of Washington, the one thing I love is the feel for the game. I really believe – that people there have a great feel for basketball. And I think the coaches emphasize that. And out here in the state of uh, Massachusetts, I, I listen, there's some good players, but not nothing like Seattle. I think they miss the, the small things that, that the guys do that I really enjoy watching. You know, you've made a comment to me in the past because, you know, we were teammates. We had plenty of bus rides, plane trips, et cetera, that had you not gone to USC, you would have went to Gonzaga. And then that would have probably parlayed you into living in eastern part of the state of Washington, like you mentioned earlier. Did you make a mistake in not going to Gonzaga? Um, I can't call it a mistake because my life turned out, like, you know, pretty good, right? I, but I tell you, 
Think about this, Dan. When I was in high school, I had a half scholarship from Seattle Pacific. I had a bunch of Division Three offers. And Mark Few was all over me. It's like he was the only one that truly, truly believed in me when I was in high school. And he's the one that told me, uh, Scal, you should, go to, you should go to junior college for one year and then sit out red shirt and then come to Gonzaga, play for three. And I, I took that plan and I took it all the way to USC with me. And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of me that knows that I would have fit in well with the Gonzaga team. I would have fit in well with that team. But Dan, I think ultimately what made me successful was me getting out of my comfort zone. I would have loved it at Gonzaga. I would have loved playing with you guys. But there were times when I got down to L.A. playing with the guys at USC, which a lot of guys ended up transferring. I loved my team who eventually went to the Elite Eight. But I, I was uncomfortable around some of these guys early. I was like, what, what is he? It, it was so different down in smack dab in the middle of Los Angeles than it would have been and how comfortable I would have been in Spokane. So in one sense, yeah. Like if you're just making it from an emotional decision, should I have gone down there? I would have, I would have loved college. I would have loved my life. But I think for me to ultimately get what I wanted, I had to get a little uncomfortable, and that's what USC provided for me. Well, being uncomfortable has definitely led to some great things for you. Uh, as you mentioned, 11 years in the NBA, the first part of your career, you were with the Nets, and then you had a great stretch with the Celtics um, before wrapping things up with, with the Bulls. What was it about your game that allowed you to last 11 years in the NBA because you're very similar to me that if, if you just walk by somebody on the streets, they're not going to say, Hey, he played in the NBA. They're not going to yeah. look at me and say, Hey, he played in the NBA, but you know, as I, as well as I do, we had a, a specific skill set and a characteristics of our personality that allowed us to last. So for me, Dan, it's, and it's a little different, I think for you, because in your position, they're some of the greatest players in the world. At, at your position, the ball skills, the dominance, the point guard, it is hard to guard that position. It is hard to come off screens. It is hard to get other people involved. For me, I, I almost like fit I, – I got thrown into the perfect scenario in the NBA. First, I was in New Jersey, and they ran Princeton offense. I was never going to be like an 8, 9, 10, 12-point-a-game scorer. That's just not who I am. But what I do is I fit in well with my teammates and I fit in well with really good players. Like smart players is where I shine. You know, simple things like weak side cutting, setting screens at a, sp a specific angle, you know, driving closeouts, moving the basketball, being able to make like quick decisions. It, and it, it allowed me to play with those type of guys. So for my game, it was really easy to fit in with these type of stars. Remember, Dan, I was never really a star in any place that I played. Even going back to high school, I, maybe I was the best player my senior year, but the way that we played, it was just all one part of the team. In junior college, I was the third best player on the team. And at USC, I was the second or third best player on the team. So when I'm now I'm in the NBA and I was never going to be a star, it was easy for me to adapt to, wow, this guy could shoot. Wow, this guy can drive. You know, Jason Kidd, when you set a screen on him, make sure they don't go under because he's not going to stop behind the screen and shoot. So just, you know, shifting over, you know, six inches, 12 inches, 18 inches. So it forces the guy go, to go over the top. It, it allows Jason Kidd to get downhill. And then ultimately, all that 
you know, leads to winning. So I listen, Dan, I don't, I, I, I'm glad that you say like we're similar. I, I, I think your ball skills and your ability to score were so much more elite than I was. And, and just think about you in college and where you can go, you, you would go anywhere you want on the floor. I was always a role player. I, either I'm a glorified role player or I'm a glorified 10th man. One way or another, I was always going to be a role player. I love listening to that explanation of talking about Jason Kidd coming off of pick and rolls. The intricacies of the game that you just shared is so far over so many people's heads. In your current role now with the Boston Celtics, and we'll touch on taking over for a legend and Tommy Heinsohn later, but in your role as the Celtics as a, as a color analyst, and I do this at the college level, you have to break down those intricacies and explain them to an everyday person how they can understand it. How do you do that? Yeah, so that's – I started out and I was speaking basketball jargon. And my producer and even Mike Gorman, the, the legendary play-by-play guy that I was working with, he would sometimes ask questions in the game. Later on, we'd go through the film and, and, and you know, here's a good example. You know, like the pick and roll happens. The guy comes from the corner and he shakes up. We call it shake action, right? It's just a simple – in our world, it's like – it's simple. Everyone knows shake action. This is like the lingo that we speak with. But I, I didn't realize how most of the people just turned the game on and, and then they would watch. So uh, my first year, they gave me a teleprompter and, and I would use the term and I would show it with a teleprompter. So right here, guys pick and roll to the middle, bigs dive into the basket. Okay, watch this. Um, Jalen Brown catches the ball in the shake action and drives it. So then people are like, oh, that's shake action. Then what really, really, really helped me, Dan, and remember, I'm covering the same team over and over again. When Brad Stevens comes out afterwards and says, man, we were getting a lot of good stuff off the shake action. So when I say it and Brad doesn't say it, oh, man, you're too technical. I got, you're, you're speaking over the head of everybody. When Brad Stevens comes out and on the podium and says, yeah, we got, we got a lot of good action in that shake action, now everybody's scrambling to find out what the shake action is, right? So they're telling me to be quiet, but when he uses it, it's all good. So I happen to align with him. He uses terminology that I have used, which is not like, I'm not like Tony Romo or anything like that. If, if anybody in our world communicated with coaches, we would all speak the same language. But he really does back me because he uses that jargon in his postgame press conference, in his pregame you know, talking about it. And now people are starting to catch on. That's great. And I think Brad Stevens is, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. And it's hard to believe he's still one of the younger coaches in the NBA. You had a year or two where you thought you were going to go down that coaching path. You spent uh, some time with the Golden State Warriors organization when you were done playing. What was that like? And how quickly did you realize, you know what, I don't want the hassle of building scouting reports. I don't want the, the worry of a wins and loss record. I just want to go enjoy the game and be done with it when it's over. That's funny. You know, when you're doing something and you know it's not right, you're, you're, you, you just put your head down. Because we've all, like I said about the USC, right, we've all been uncomfortable. We just, as people, we just have to realize that not everything is going to be easy. So I'm putting my head down. I'm doing my work. I, I feel like it's wrong, Dan. I can't be present to my at home when I'm with my kids. And so if I do anything with them, then I'm sacrificing the coaching side of it, right? So I'm like, not either, I'm not a good coach or I'm not a good dad, right? And that whole year, 
I was not good at either one of them. But I tell you the breaking point. So, you know, I'm always constantly balancing family. And, and it's, it's, it's a conscious decision that you have to make. If you just like dive into your work, you'll just ignore them. And I don't think that that's the right way. And plus the sacrifices that my wife and family have made during my MBA career, you know, this is what, this is not what they signed up for. So this is the breaking point. And I think it happened in December. Festus Azili, who I was supposed to work out. So it was a game day, Dan. I went in early. I got all my work done, all my scout. I think I was there about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, banging out my scouting report. The whole plan, my kids had a half day of school. The whole plan was for me between the, between shoot around and the game was I'm going to come home. I'm going to spend the time with my family. So Festus Azili who was not even playing, by the way. He was just working out. He had his knee problem. He, I wasn't even sure he wanted to play, right? He was supposed to work out at 10.05. The shoot-around ends at 10. It's 10.05. I'm out there. I'm warming up. I'm, one, I'm waiting for Festus. I can't see him. It's 10.15. I don't see him. It's 10.20. It's 10.25. Finally, I went into the locker room. He's in there chopping it up with everybody else. And I'm like, Festus, what's going on? He's like, oh, man. Scout, I had to get a haircut. You know, we got a game tonight. I got to be looking fresh for the game. And I about lost it, man. I about lost it. But I think that right there was a tipping point, and it made me realize, like, as, as great as Andrew Bogut was to work out with, Draymond Green, seeing Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Harrison Barnes, it, it, everything, the Warrior organization is phenomenal. I knew they were going to be special. As much as that was there, I was always going to be the prisoner to the Festus Azili and, you know, a young player that just has his priorities all screwed up, which is so his haircut was spending time away from my family, which, by the way, when you're in the Western Conference, which I think you know this, but in the East, you take like one day trips all the time. In the West, man, you're gone for six days, seven days, come back for two, go back out for seven because of the geography, right? So this is easy. I had one day in two weeks with my kids and he, he cost me that because he wanted to get a haircut. I was not going to live that life, not when I could do this and what I'm doing right now and be successful at it. Well, I think you made the right decision because family is important. And I know uh, after having spent time with you as a teammate with the Celtics and getting to know your wife a little bit, uh, that the family is important. So you made the right de the decision because you've become a, in my estimation, and, and when I get a chance to watch NBA games, a, a terrific broadcaster. You kind of have kind of taken baby steps and hopefully I'm using the right terms that, that you don't get ticked off at me for, but you've taken baby steps in that role because Tommy Heinsohn has been a legend behind the mic for the Boston Celtics for years. And so you've been groomed to do more and more things over the last few years. What have you learned from Tommy Heinsohn? And do you have a specific phrase like the Tommy point that you like to bring out? Uh, I don't have a phrase, but the, the, the greatest learning experience I've ever had was, our, our producer, Paul Lucy, had an idea to go three-man in the booth. So Mike Gorman, Tommy Heinsohn. And it's one thing listening to somebody, you know, I so what the way the, a normal game works is I sit across the, 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 from where they're at, right, and I have my earpiece in. So I'm listening to the broadcast. If they come to me, I, I come in. Think Tony Saragusa, and I'm in huddles, and I'm, I got reports. Brad Stevens wants to do this out of his timeout, right? So – Paul Lucy says, Scal, let's get you into the broadcast. Let's go three in a booth and let's just do it for like three weeks. Well, that was the best learning experience because you start to learn timing. And I use the word punctuation, like when you're in, when you're out, right? You, you can't just 
elaborate about this one play five plays later because it confuses the people at home. So Tommy was the best at getting in, getting out. And it took me have to, having to watch him right beside me do it for me to finally pick that up and to see how he would – he always like rubs his hands really fast. Like a play happens and he starts rubbing his hands and Mike Gorman finishes the call and then he comes in with his call and then he gets right back out. And when he did that, it's like, oh, I see. That's how you do it. But it's no different than when we were basketball players and we were going against a guy and he turned the corner and then a guy got his shoulder really low and he, and, and he used that shoulder to seal us off. And like, oh, that's how you do it. So it's just experience. And like you said, that was a great term, baby steps. Any profession, no matter how good you are, it, it all takes work. It all takes um, some awareness of understanding what is good and what is not. The worst thing you can possibly do in this business is, is think, yeah, everyone's telling me how great I am. Yeah, I'm good to go. I don't need anybody's help. That's untrue. I still listen today to find out different people I watch and say, how can, how can I get better at this? I'll tell you, one of my favorite guys is Doug Collins. I love Doug Collins. I'm, I'm so sad that he's not on air anymore because I thought he had a great he brought the technical side. He was intense. He loved basketball. He showed love to the players. And he also had some uh, sense of humor as well. So I, it's, it's just you can always learn from, from different people and how they do it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people, unless you're, you're entrenched in the broadcasting world, realize how much we as analysts lean on our play-by-play -play guys. But more importantly, yeah. our producers. The producers have the big-picture stuff the play-by-play -play guy is kind of calling all the action, obviously. And then as an analyst, you're coming in with the insightful nuggets that can really add a lot of flavor and excitement to, to somebody watching the game. Dan, let me ask you, how, how many different things do you do in the media game? Currently a lot. I mean, right now, during a typical college basketball season, I work for four different TV networks. Uh -huh. I work for Westwood One on the radio, which is a completely different medium in, in a delivery style as opposed to TV. And then this podcast for SB Live Sports we've had going for a little more than a year now. So yeah. all three have much different delivery styles. And, that, and that's so true because when I first started, I, I finally got the games and the timing under my belt. Then I, I started doing a radio show. And so basketball timing is about three and a half to four seconds when you're coming out of a play. Radio is about 30 seconds. Sometimes radio could be up to a minute and 30 seconds if you're like kind of like going on a tangent or a long-winded uh, rant. So when I first started doing both, I, was, I would take that minute and 30 and I'd bring it into basketball. And next thing you know, I'm like going on this tangent for 25 seconds. So you have to be able to understand how to do it all. Dan, you're hosting this show right now. And hosting is completely different than like being a guest on a podcast. So if I, I, and people ask me all the time, not just players, but I do tell players, you want to be as versatile as you possibly can. I, I got a lot of respect for, for Jalen Rose for that. Jalen Rose is always sticking his neck out trying to do different things. He's doing a morning show. He's hosting a show. He's doing a podcast. He's doing sort of a Zoom type of thing. He's always trying different things, knowing that eventually if you keep doing it over and over again, you'll get really good at it. I, I don't really enjoy the people that just do one aspect of media I really think you have to do it all to understand and I'm really I'm, I'm begging my producer next season if everything is I don't know how next season is going to go with coronavirus but to, to to call a few games I want to be a play-by-play -play guy I want to try it not 
just be a play-by-play guy, but can I get five games under my belt? I think it will help me be a better analyst. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point you make about uh, being versatile and some of the examples that you use, in particular, Jalen Rose. Looking back at the time we were teammates in the NBA, and that was the 2005-2006 season with the Celtics, and that's dating ourselves a little bit, making us seem very old, but we used to play poker on every flight. You, me, Paul Pierce, Kendrick Perkins, Ryan Gomes. Looking back at it now, I never would have predicted that Paul Pierce was going to be a broadcaster. I never would have predicted Kendrick Perkins would have been a broadcaster. I would have predicted Kendrick was going to go into coaching. Big time for the game. Paul, I thought, would have just gone and and retired and sat on some beach uh, and maybe coached AAU because he loves the game so much. But when you look at those guys, what memories comes up about those two? Well, I still work with Perk now. I had Perk on a, um, I had Perk on the Houston game and the Oklahoma City game and the Dallas game. So I was doing whatever I could to, uh, to, to make it so he could come out there and, and, and get involved in the game. But the, the one thing that's changed a lot in the media game is everyone's looking for people to have hot takes and keep it 100, keep it real. In this world, of, we have a lot of passive-aggressive people. No one wants to say anything. No one wants to like come out there and say, I believe this and I don't believe that. I think this guy's right and this guy's wrong. And Perkins has done that. Paul Pierce, as you know, he is always a prankster, a jokester, and all, and all those type of things. So he's brought that to the, the ESPN show. Him and Chauncey used to go at Jalen Rose. So it's uh, I just think the game and the media thing has changed. When we were playing – Charles Barkley and the inside the NBA crew were going, but I don't know if it was as popular like as it is right now. It was kind of picking up steam and everyone kind of liked it. Now everyone's trying to emulate that, and that's why those two guys are perfect for it. Staying on the topic of uh, NBA career and playing career in particular, you played with five surefire bona fide Hall of Famers, two of them in – in uh, New Jersey and Jason Kidd and Vince Carter. And then with Boston, Paul Pierce, as we mentioned, KG and Ray Allen during that, uh, I believe it was the 08 championship team. What stands out about those guys um, to you? So I, I think we have to group them, right? I think Garnett and Kidd are the best teammates I've ever seen. They cared. They cared about winning. They did the right things. Like it was you would run through a wall for those two. Then you have Pierce and Allen, who it all comes down to, obviously, incredibly gifted and extremely competitive and a desire to be great, which is also part of it. Like, I, I never had a desire to be great, Dan. I, had a, I wanted to be a good player, but I wanted to be out there. I wanted to impact winning. But I never thought to myself, like, man, if I just kept working, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm going to be an all-star. I'm going to be – for those guys, they're trying to be the best player in the league, trying to win a championship, trying to win finals MVP. And I think that that's like a whole nother level. Vince Carter, when it comes to scoring the basketball, one of the, one of the most talented people I've ever seen, just walks on the court, shoots threes right off the jump. Like for me, that takes me like 20 minutes to warm up and like get my shot uh, calibrated right. And it's like those guys – it's amazing how you can just walk in and bare feet and just start jacking up shots and making them. And I'll tell you, the best player, I, I thought the best player I 
would have ever played with would have been Derrick Rose. Well, I, was, I was certain that Derrick Rose was going to become like a top five, top ten for sure, all-time great when I played the one season with him when he won the MVP. The following season, he only played in half the games because he was always injured. And we, now you know what you know, happened from there. But I, I was, I, I've never been around – a guy like that that was so physically gifted so competitive and I thought that he was going to be like the, the next coming like up there with in my opinion Isaiah Thomas not the Isaiah Thomas from Washington but the other Isaiah Thomas yeah I, I completely spaced on the fact that you played with Derrick Rose in that MVP season now I was out of the league at, by that time but watching him I don't know how I would have tried to guard a guy as skilled as he was on top of his athleticism and explosiveness coupled with his competitiveness. I mean, that's a, that's a trifecta right there. That's hard to beat. He, he, he would take hits, Dan. And he was old school. Like, you know how the NBA got really bad as far as people complaining to the referees, he would go up, I mean, get hit in the face, like boom, and then his eyes would go right back to the rim and he would finish. And then he would be like, the referee, hey, what's going on? If that was anybody else, that guy would have hit the floor. They would have went to the replay monitor. It would have been a flagrant foul. He was so tough. He was so tough that year when he, when he won the MVP. I just, I just never seen anybody like that. One of the things that I love about you, Brian, um, is the fact that you love basketball. Um, and you're willing to talk about it at all times. You're gonna you you watch it all the time. Uh, I remember when we were teammates, we used to always have you know discussions or probably arguments about styles of play or players or teams. You've seen the transformation from when you came into the league, where it was kind of a grinded out, kind of slow paced game. You were with the Nets that you would occasionally run because you had Jason Kidd, phenomenal at pushing the tempo, but you guys really ran the Princeton offense and played in the half court. Now you're seeing the game where it's free-flowing, it's layups or threes, it's in transition, shoot it as quickly as you can. What are your, what's your take on the evolution of the game over the last 20 years since you've really been involved with the NBA? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring something up that might be a pipe dream, but what I, what, I go back to 2000, I think it was 2004, when I played the first time I played the Phoenix Suns and the seven seconds or less. I, I got in the car after the game, and I told my wife, I said, that's the future of the game right there. That was the hardest thing I ever had to guard. And you remember, it would be a pick and roll on one side. You'd have to fight a guy ducking in, right? And you can do that because you can plug. I could get to the roll man who really wasn't that skilled, and I could blow up the duck in. And that was like, even though it was physical, it was easier, easier to guard. Then all of a sudden, I'm playing – Steve Nash, and he's coming down the lane, and he's staring me right in the eyes, and I got a Marty Stoudemire on that side, and I got, like, Boris Diaw in the corner on that side, and I'm supposed – my responsibility is to get a Marty Stoudemire on the roll, but my guy's at the three-point line, and I'm like, what do I do in this situation with Steve Nash coming right down the lane, looking me in the eye, waiting for me, and I'm telling you, Dan, I went like this, and he bounced past the Stoudemire. Boom, he dunked it. The next time – I went like this, and he threw it into the corner. It was a wide-open three. Coach took me out of the game. I'm like, you guys got to reinvent your defenses. This is something I've never seen before. <laughs> so, in one sense, Dan, I love that style of play. I love elite decision makers. I love how they play through bigs, and bigs move the ball, and they get wide-open shots for guards. 
What I don't love is like the touch fouls. I wish that they, they didn't call those. I wish it was, a, and I, like I said, it could be a pipe dream, but I wish it was a f- more physical game. It didn't have to be like 90s basketball. I get it, right? I, we had just watched the last dance of what Jordan had to go through. It doesn't have to be like that. But a hand check once in a while that doesn't impede progress, I would like to see the wide open driving kick, um, put teams in rotation offense without the checking guys, you know, um, not without the fouling guys, but also without the slight touch foul. So somewhere in the middle of that, I think it's the greatest game ever played. And we sort of had the physical game, which I kind of like to watch sometimes. And now we have the, the fun offensive game, which I kind of like to watch sometimes. I like to blend those two things together. That's a good way to put it. Blend those two styles together. Because uh, there, there are times that for me, it's hard to watch an NBA game when you're seeing a score of 130 to 120. Agreed. Nobody's playing defense. And I'm looking at myself like, I couldn't guard anybody. But I could play in this era because I could shoot it, I could pass it. Maybe I was a little bit too soon, but it, it is what it is. The other part of, uh, that I wanted to get to you was you've been involved with the big three since the start. Unfortunately, this year it's not gone due to the, the pandemic of the coronavirus. How fun of a project has that been to be involved with literally from, you know, its inception? Yeah, I, I like hanging with the guys a lot. I like catching up and seeing and, 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 and what, what are people doing with their lives and stuff like that. Um, I like the fact that I can play in front of 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 people. I, once, once those days are gone, you don't realize that that's, a, that's something like that could happen again. I, it's funny. I, my, my, my kids are younger than, than your kids. So, I, well, let me think about this, Dan. Have, have your kids really got a chance to watch you play in the NBA? Because my kids really did not get a chance. They didn't understand that. So now they get a chance to watch me play in the big three, which it's not the same, obviously, as you know, playing in the NBA and, and all the stuff that surrounds that. But it is cool that my kids could say, my, my son could, could destroy me after a game or my daughter would be like, man – you were not good today, dad, because that's the same thing I tell her when she's not good either. Like you just wasted a day. (laughs) So I kind of like that aspect of it. And I am, and I'm disappointed that we're not having it. I kind of feel like, I mean, getting into just the pandemic and the coronavirus thing, I kind of feel like I, I wish there was a way for us to do it. I wish there was a way for us to play and provide people an opportunity to watch basketball during this time, even if it, meant you know some sacrifices but you know everyone we make decisions based off of the information that we know and and they decided to postpone it but I would have liked to play this year however it would have been I I I just really feel like the world needed you know some sports right now and I'm not even sure the way this whole thing is going that this thing is going to happen down in Orlando either yeah it's going to be interesting to watch obviously PGA Tour is back up and running NBA, Major League Baseball is getting started in the very near future. Um, but your personality has shown through in a number of your, your playing stops and your, your energy and your, your networking with teammates uh, has also carried over to becoming somewhat of a, of a cult phenomenon, in particular in Boston. And last question before I let you go, because I got online real quickly uh, this morning before we had our conversation. And I didn't know this, but you just released a vodka scow. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny. Now that I'm retired, I have more time to focus on different things, right? 
And I first started, I, I got into the pasta sauce business. And I do things, Dan, just to find out what it's like now. I'm, I'm interested in meeting different people. You use the word networking. I, I love like sitting down. I had a meeting with the president of Roach Brothers and Shaw's and to find out how does it work. So then we released the pasta sauce and um, I found out how grocery stores work. Then I, I, you know, one thing led to another. I met up with this person, that person, and they, they want to do a, a joint venture on Scal's vodka lemonade. And I'm all for it because I'm all for learning. How do we know in our life, and you know how it is, from the time you're what to the time you're done, you're focused on one thing. You want to be the best basketball player you can possibly be. And I, believe me, I love the game of basketball. I, I, wouldn't, want it, I don't, wouldn't want to change it at all. But there are so many different people out there having success in different areas. So I sort of expanded outside of what I would consider my comfort zone and uh, tried some different things. So, yeah, man, I'll, once there's like some legal reasons why I can't send you the vodka in, in Washington. But once this thing goes, I'll, I'll make it happen, man. And you know what I'll do? I'll get in one of those uh, those golf tournaments that you probably play in all summer long, and I'll have I'll, I'll sponsor a hole, like I'll sponsor <laughs> hole number six, <laughs> and everybody gets a shot of Scal's uh, vodka lemonade. There you go. Oh, I can't wait to try it. If you want to release it somehow, some way in the in the Pacific Northwest, let me know. Maybe there could be a, a joint venture that gets included uh, out here. Uh, yeah. sounds, sounds like a, a fun the, little the only thing that's stopping me is just understanding how this all works legally i don't it's it's all still new to me and how i could sell in mass new hampshire and connecticut and, and maine but i can't do anything outside of that so well, listen dan as soon as i know you'll know and for sure man we'll, we'll make something happen oh that is great promise you last question You've had a tremendous amount of uh, experiences, a tremendous amount of, of success at the professional level. When you take a step back and you kind of really reflect, is there one either game, one moment that really you sit back and say, wow, that was amazing that I was a part of that? So that's, you know, it's funny. During this pandemic, I've been doing a lot of Zoom calls and people ask, in an indirect way, that's a better way of asking what is one of your most memorable moments, right? And I, when I think back on my career, I think of, you know, me and you arguing, you know, over poker. It's, it's on the plane rides. It's, you know, like all the interactions in the locker room, the weight room, the, you know, practice, guys saying crazy stuff. I remember the games. Don't get me wrong. I remember playing in big games and playing well in games. But it's all about the memories and the relationships I built over the years that I remember the most. When I think back of Kevin Garnett, I don't think about the unbelievable, you know, 36 and 18 he had in the NBA finals. I think of like me and him sitting on a, on a half wall, you know, uh, smoking a cigar one day in Phoenix. And when I think about Paul Pierce, I think about, you know, like him talking trash in the weight room and, and me doing a five mile ride to, to shut him up. I think about, the interactions more than anything. And, and, and maybe that's wrong, but I, I just, that's the type of person I am. By the way, when I think back to high school, it's, I think about my friends and playing at the park. When I think about junior college, I think about my team and the bus rides to and from games. So when I think at USC, I think about the, you know, the, the tournament run and how we were hanging out at the hotels. So 
for me, it's all about the relationships I built over the years. So I can bring up some games, but it's, it won't be doing a, a service to all my teammates and, and, and how I really remember my 11-year journey in the NBA. That's so poignant because sports is much more than numbers and wins and losses. And yeah, people are going to remember titles. They're going to remember records. But at the end of the day, you are so right. It's so much of it is about relationships, networks, and helping each other become better, uh, whether it's in the moment and you know it, or years down the road when so, such something such as you and I having this conversation is happening. So, Brian, we really appreciate the time for, the, for myself and SB Live Sports. This has been the ISO with Dan Dickow. Thanks again for joining. It's been Brian Scalbrini and Dan Dickow. All right, brother. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.